It's always an honor to preach the Word of God, this awesome message of the Gospel, the good news to you all. So Corey and Kim, as Jay mentioned, are in Florida this week to visit with Corey's mom. So be praying for them. Also want to thank the, the worship team, the birthday girl, Kelly, and uh, so there's some, some great songs to prepare our hearts this morning. Think about how we as the church can pray to God that he would guide our ways. Mm -hmm. So, Asbury University, Wilmore, Kentucky, have you heard of it? Some people, yes, that's good. So what started as a Wednesday morning service has spurred into a non-stop worship and preaching for over the last 10 days now. Thousands have gathered from across the country even the world to experience what they're calling the Asbury Revival of 2023. So what's interesting is that this university has kind of become known for revivals. Um, so I have some dates here. February 1905, during a blizzard, a prayer meeting in the men's dormitory spilled out to the rest of campus in the town of Wilmore. February 1908, revival broke out while someone prayed in chapel. The revival lasted two weeks and was signified by prevailing prayer and intercession. February 1921, the last service of a planned revival lasted until 6 a.m. and services were extended for three more days. February 1950, a student testimony led to confessions, victories, and more testimonies. This went on uninterrupted for 118 hours and became the second leading news story nationwide. It's estimated that 50,000 people found a new experience in Christ as a result of this revival and witnessed teams that went out from it. March 1958, revival began in a student fasting prayer meeting that spilled over into chapel and lasted for 63 hours. February 1970, the Dean Custer Reynolds, scheduled to speak in chapel, felt led to invite persons to give personal testimonies instead. Many on campus had been praying for spiritual revival and were now in an expectant mood. Soon there was a large group waiting in line to speak. The spirit of powerful revival came upon the congregation. The chapel was filled with rejoicing people. Classes were canceled for a week during the 144 hours of unbroken revival. But even after classes resumed, Hughes Auditorium was left open for prayer and testimony. These ses sessions were presided over by Reynolds, Clarence Hunter, and other faculty. Some 2,000 witness teams went out from Wilmore to churches and at least 130 college campuses around the nation. March 1992, a student confession during the closing chapel of the annual Holiness Conference turned into 127 consecutive hours of prayer and praise. 
February 2006, a student chapel led to four days of continuous worship, prayer, and praise. And here we are, February 8, 2023, prompted after students spontaneously stayed after weekly chapel. I've been following it pretty closely. It's been amazing to witness. I know several people that have gone down there uh, to see it firsthand. Um, there's a Facebook group called the Asbury Revival. It's been cool to see this non-stop testimony being posted in there. So what started as a typical Wednesday morning service has gone on to spur up other revival-like events in other churches and college campuses across the country and the world. People have been going there and getting fired up and going back to their churches or going to colleges and essentially taking this fire with them. It's been cool to watch. So while I've been encouraged and excited by this, I've also been a little discouraged as well. Why? Because of skepticism. Seeing people I know questioning the hearts of the people in Asbury. Criticizing those who are traveling there. Criticizing the copycat movements in other churches or colleges. Claiming this isn't a real revival. Listen, I understand the need for discernment. But my friends, let's not allow our desire for discernment to turn us into sowing seeds of doubt. Christians can sometimes be the worst critics, can't we? Questioning what other churches are doing, what other believers are saying, almost setting ourselves up on this pedestal, as if we know, we know exactly what God is doing, how he's going to do it, where he's going to do it, when he's going to do it. Somehow we know how the Spirit works. But church, let's not forget that we have a faith that is rooted in some unbelievable things. Don't we? I'm sure Noah was met with some skepticism when he started building the boat. Right? Warning of a giant flood. I'm sure Moses was met with some skepticism when he was about to lead the people across the Red Sea. I'm sure David was met with some skepticism when he told the story of Goliath. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Pretty sure they were doubted when they proclaimed God in the midst of the fiery furnace. What about Mary when she claimed her encounter with the angel, telling her of this infant child who would be the Son of God? Let's not forget the skepticism Jesus faced as he performed miracles, touching and healing lepers, and even as he proclaimed to be God himself. What about the greatest revival that we've seen told to us here by Luke in the book of Acts? I wonder if those early believers were persecuted for what they were doing and proclaiming. I don't need to wonder, do I? 
These are crazy things that we all believe, right? And then we take this crazy message to people in the world. You see, naturally, we're skeptical. But when it comes to the workings of God, I think we need to be careful with this. Let's not be like the Pharisees, confining the working of the Spirit to our own limited understanding. We're back in the book of Acts this morning, chapter 11, where Peter is faced with his own bit of criticism. After what he had just experienced with Cornelius, I'm sure he was absolutely fired up and completely filled with the Spirit. He heads back into Jerusalem, and what do you know? The critics confront him. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. We're going to start in Acts 10, um, at verse 44. It says, while Peter was saying these things, while he was sharing the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. We're going to read through verse 18. <clears throat> now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied, accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying that to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this message this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this repentance that leads to life. Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak through me into the hearts and minds and the souls of everyone that's here listening this morning. Lord, may your spirit go out from here and let it reach the people that need to hear it. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. So I think it's important to kind of recap. I always kind of like to go backwards because then it helps me move forward a little bit. I like to like get a running start at things. Sometimes you need to get back and then go forward. <clears throat> so just prior to Jesus' res resurrection, he tells them what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We see that in Acts 1, verse 8. Right? So he gives this message to them, and then he ascends into heaven. The day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit falls on Jewish people from every region who are gathered together. They begin understanding each other in their own native languages. It seems crazy and unbelievable, and they're all perplexed. All these people from all over the place are together. The Holy Spirit falls. Now they can understand each other. They're, they're bewildered, essentially. And Peter gets up, and he shares this amazing sermon. And he ends it calling for those who are gathered to repent and be baptized. And then as we know, through this, thousands and thousands come to faith in Jerusalem. And persecution sets in, strategically dis disrupting everything breaking up the church and pushing these believers out to advance the gospel into other areas. And as it advances, it reaches this Gentile named Cornelius, showing ultimately that God does not restrict any nation or ethnicity from the author of salvation. So this encounter with Cornelius happens, and the Spirit falls on all who heard, even the Gentiles. Luke tells us, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Where did we see that just a moment ago? And then the Spirit fell on Pentecost. The same thing happened. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Just like when the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, Peter witnesses it again, but now falling on Gentiles which again proves what Jesus had spoken. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're not quite to the ends of the earth part yet. It's coming. So what do we see here? I kind of got three points this morning to look at. First is the criticism. We see Acts 11, 1 through 3. 
It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So again, word of this event is spreading quickly throughout Judea now. It said that they had asked Peter to stay for a few days. We don't know exactly how long he stayed there. But word had spread quickly. It reaches the apostles and also the circumcision party. This is the first we hear of this group, but it won't be the last. They are a group of strict Jewish Christians very similar to the Pharisees that believed if a Gentile wished to be saved, he must first convert to Judaism and live by the ritual laws and hence be circumcised. So this is a conditional salvation. Right? So you convert to Judaism, live by these ritual laws, be circumcised, and then you can receive this free gift. Doesn't sound too free, does it? Hearing these stories, I have to always, I wonder a question, like this is very soon after Jesus' ministry, right? And maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but these people, it was right after Jesus' ascension and how quickly they're already distorting the gospel. So again, think of this for a moment. I've got to believe that Peter is absolutely fired up. He's fired up. He has this vision. Right? And then all of a sudden these guys appear. The confirmation sets in. He's sent down to Caesarea. This man meets him, tells him the story of this angel. And then Peter just starts sharing the good news with him. And then the Holy Spirit begins to fall on these Gentiles. Imagine that. He makes his way to Jerusalem, and the first encounter we're told about is this circumcision party. I keep wanting him to call them the criticizing party. They criticized him for eating with uncircumcised men. Have you ever had just an amazing moment, amazing time, and then you're met with criticism by somebody? Never forget, I was doing an all-night event with students. <clears throat> I think we had 80 some boys and it was amazing everything was working out and it was all night too so I, and I always made a point to make sure I was up all night to want the kids burning the church down <laughs> plus we did it Saturday nights so we had church Sunday morning and we told the boys you're going to church tomorrow morning too and I'll never forget this <clears throat> I'm just like high on the spirit, I guess. Because we had an amazing event. And that Sunday morning, this one of the 
guy, this guy comes up to me, and I thought he was gonna say, Bobby, great job, high five. <laughs> no, not at all. He criticized me. It was, it's a longer story, but he, he criticized me for the way that I handled the situation that he set up and was in charge of. And, and I couldn't believe it. It like knocked me, locked, knocked me down, right? Because I'm like, you, you don't realize that we, we had 80 boys here last night who heard this gospel message. Let's hope and pray that these boys get spurred up, right? No, but he wanted to criticize me. There was no, and look, I don't, I don't need a pat on the back, but I also don't need to be criticized, right? It was the first thing that morning. Wait till tomorrow at least. So Peter had to have been just fired up, and he comes back, and he's met the first, the first thing that we see here. Circumcision party, criticizing him. Remember back to chapter 10. We see Peter admit in verse 28 that it was unlawful for him to even associate or visit with a Gentile as it would make him unclean. So eating with one is basically the ultimate show of disobedience as he's now sat down with them in fellowship. And the circumcision party calls him out for their, on their idea of unlawfulness. Their idea unlawfulness, right? Again, they claim to be followers, followers of Christ, yet didn't Jesus eat with sinners? We call Jesus friend of sinners? And again, they're not that far removed from this ministry. So Jesus ate with sinners, and the Pharisees rebuked him. What did he say? He says this. He said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. So yet when Peter, confronted with a criticism, says, I've got to imagine this is like kind of his response. He's fired up. He's excited. These guys come criticizing right away. And he's like, no, you guys need to hear this. I didn't do this on my own. Blaming God, which is a good thing. I didn't do this on my own. I was completely led by God. Let me explain. Which leads us to the second point, skepticism. We continue reading verses 4 through 10. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were. Sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me 
to go with that, making no distinction. So Peter explains the story of his vision and the prompting of the Spirit to the circumcision party. So was Peter being skeptical or obeying the law? I think a little bit of both here. He certainly knew and understood the law, right? I mean, that was his excuse for not wanting to kill and eat these animals. And maybe he thought this trance was a trick or a test, and pushing back was in an effort to confirm or deny its reality. But his doubt definitely led to skepticism and arguably even disobedience. See, the Lord commanded him to do something, and he tells him no. Yet the Lord, knowing Peter, reveals this vision to him and commands him to eat and kill the unclean animals in an effort to remove any doubt or skepticism from his mind. So that later, when he was met with this unclean Gentile, his prejudices about him would be gone. Did you pick that up? God had to show him this so that when he was met with this unclean Gentile, his prejudices would be gone. And it took God showing him three times for him to finally grasp it. An interesting correlation here. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And after the resurrection, how many times did Jesus ask Peter if he loved him? Three times. So Peter's got something going on in his head that it takes him three times to figure things out. That's what I gather here. I think we all can sometimes take more than that for us, right? But God knows that. So while I can't say for sure, I don't think Peter would have gone near Cornelius if it hadn't been for seeing the vision three times. I've got to believe those men had just showed up while he was praying. If those men had just showed up while he was praying, he would have doubted. God knew he would have been skeptical, and so he removed the doubt from his mind. Why? Because the message needed to advance. So we see the criticism from the circumcision party, and we even see the skepticism from Peter's perspective. But as he finishes sharing the story, we see that the reach of the gospel has no restrictions. third point. There's no restrictions. So Acts 11, 12 through 18. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. 
As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying that to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So I, I have to believe there was still some skepticism in Peter's mind as he followed these men to Caesarea. Like, really, Lord, is this, is this true? Is this still where you want me to go? Is this still you leading? But those thoughts of doubts had been completely erased as he began to speak and the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the good news. Imagine Peter's joy and excitement. A spiritual confirmation. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When the circumcision party heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This message of salvation has no restrictions. Isn't that the greatest truth this morning? Yes. There's one. <laughs> A couple of you, they agree. The message of salvation has no restrictions. Any of you come from a Jewish background? Neither. The message of salvation that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins. Even an unclean, an unclean wretched sinner like me. amazing grace. And this silenced the circumcision party and then led them to remove the restrictions of their prejudices. Remove the restrictions of their conditional laws and admit this gospel message was even for the Gentiles. They admitted it. Wow. And I love that Peter says, who is I that I could stand in God's way? Peter is admitting that he can't stand in God's way. God is going to do God things regardless of your disobedience, right? You can see it from two perspectives, right? Who is I to stand in God's way because God is going to do God's things? Or this positioning of that you could potentially stand in God's way, right? And that the gospel wouldn't advance. But let's not forget how Peter had been commissioned by Jesus. Let's not forget that Peter was commanded to go out teaching and discipling. 
Let's not forget that Jesus told Peter that the church would be built upon him, essentially on his obedience to the commission, confessing that Jesus is the Christ. So Peter had a mighty responsibility in this. And his obedience to Jesus and the prompting of the Spirit was critical to the advancement of the church. Worship team, will you guys come join me? Isn't it great that the salvation has no restrictions? It's unconditional. You don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, your financial status, your education, what you've done, what you haven't done. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's already been bought and paid for. Who are we to stand in God's way with our criticism and skepticism? We have to lay down our prejudices and share the message of hope through Christ Jesus. It's been given to us unrestricted, and we must also give it out unrestricted. See, when we hear stories of a revival, or call it, call it whatever you want to call it, and ask her, these young people, these college-age students, we should be encouraged by that. Isn't it something that we do is pray for the younger generations? Lord, stir up a fire in these people. Fire them up and go out. And then the first thing we meet them with is criticism. Well, I don't know. This is something you've been praying for. I don't know if this is real, though. I hesitated on saying this, but I want to mention it briefly. Another college campus this past week, something tragic happened. It's a tragedy. It sucked me in. It's up all night listening to live feeds of the, the, uh, the radios. It's tragic, chaotic, sad, senseless, disturbing. These situations shake us up a little bit, don't they? Especially this one, pretty close to home. me as a parent question am I, what am I doing with my children are they going to be safe going to school these shaking should prompt believers to action so it's not the first and it won't be the last tragedy 
Are we prepared for the next one? Are we as believers ready and in position spiritually to guide the lost to the way? Listen, we should be praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit across this entire nation. On every campus and in every church. It would be incredible if a, a revival spurred up on an MSU's campus. Believer, Christian, friend, church, let's not stand in its way. Let's advocate for it and let's celebrate it. Can you pray with me again? Heavenly Father, Lord, <clears throat> who are we to stand in your way? Lord, we do, we do cry out to you. <clears throat> Just like Peter with his first hand. Lord, your spirit coming down and, and filling thousands of people, changing the lives of thousands of people, not just changing their lives, but changing their eternity. Lord, and you, you've, you've blessed us all by that grace here in this room. Lord, you've changed all of our eternity. by sending your son to pay the price for our sins. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we as a church, that we as a local body don't just harbor up this, this good news, that we would go out and share it unrestricted. Lord, we pray for those young people in Asbury, and all who have traveled there this past week or so, Lord, that you would continue to keep that flame ignited wherever these people go. We also pray for the students and the families affected by this tragedy at MSU. Lord, there are people that don't know your peace that don't know your truth. And, and Lord, they're met with these situations and it's chaotic and it's scary and it, we, we don't know what to do. We want solutions and we want them now. Lord, we pray that you would reach down and comfort them. Give them peace. Give them strength. And Lord, again, we pray that this would happen to everyone. We pray that when it happens, we'd be ready for it. We'd be ready for revival. Why? Because we're praying and seeking it. Lord, as we lift up our voices to you this morning, we just pray that you would, you would hear us. That you would comfort us even in this church. Lord, we love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.